where Romans 1 starts with all of this hope and victory and joy, and I'm not ashamed of the power of gospel. I'm not ashamed for the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. And then Romans 1 takes this turn into, for the wrath of God is poured out on humanity, and it just goes really, really hardcore for the end of the chapter. And so I get to come up and have a good week last week where it's like, hey, God loves you and there's victory and power in his name. And then we get to take this turn, right, um, where, it, where you really should take in the book as a whole. And so I want to bring that to your mind before we go into tonight. Um, this text is, is particularly difficult to swallow in our cultural context. It is particularly difficult to swallow. Um, it's particularly difficult to hear and receive and bring ourselves in obedience to. Um, and this is one of the reasons I love and hate this type of preaching. Um, it would be nice if I could just sort of pick through the Bible and preach through what I wanted to preach through. But when we decide we're going to preach through a book, we're going to preach through the book. Uh, and I don't want to skirt it, and I don't want to go around things that are difficult for us to hear. And so I want to bring our, our minds to this idea especially because you guys are in college, and I remember what it was like to be in college very much. Um, the New Testament, let's, let's go back a step. The last thing that Jesus says in the book of Matthew is telling his apostles, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, and I'm with you to the end of the age. But we, we tend to gloss over that part of the Great Commission, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Um, I want you to understand that when you have decided to follow Jesus, you've been baptized into him, and you've been baptized into his body, that the next step is learning to obey all the teachings of Jesus. Uh, like he says, taking his yoke on us, not the yoke of the world, but rather his yoke, which is easy and light. Um, but sometimes it's going to be cross-cultural and counter-cultural. Um, and so, the New Testament is our best understanding of those teachings. So, the New Testament is written by the apostles, and that is the apostles conveying to the church as it is growing the teachings of Jesus. That is the way that they conveyed teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you as they wrote letters to the churches. They went to the churches, worked with the churches, worked with the people in the churches, but when they weren't there, they wrote these letters to the churches. Um, and so when we sing these songs and we sing our affection, our devotion, poured out on the feet of Jesus, it's so easy to do in words. And it is so difficult to do in practice. It is so easy to sing that. And it's so easy to mean it when we sing it. And it is so difficult to leave here and walk the next week as Jesus would have us walk, obedient to the way that He would have us live. It is so difficult. And I'm not saying that like, eh, you suck. See you later. I'm just saying like, I understand that because I live in the same place that you live. I still live in this world. I'm still a broken man who is wrestling to be obedient to the Spirit. And I'm good sometimes and I'm really bad sometimes. But I, I want us to think in that way as we come underneath Romans 1, this particular part of Romans 1. If you've not decided to follow Jesus, if you come here because someone brought you or you're like uh, just checking out what's going on with Christianity, what do these weird church people do, whatever, if, if that's you, um, tonight's going to come against you kind of, kind of strongly. Um, I want to say it in a way that's accurate to the whole of Scripture. Um, but it, tonight's going to come against you rather strongly, and I would say if it does, I would love 
um, to, I, I would love it if you didn't just leave and be done, but rather talk, just talk to people, lay down in front of them all the things that are frustrating about it. So I just want to say that before we jump in tonight. Um, so let's jump in. Um, if we remember, we ended last week on this central piece of Romans 1. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And then we unpacked what this word gospel means. It means good news, right? And we unpacked that it means more than good news, um, you're going to heaven when you die. Or good news, um, your sins are not held against you anymore. That's part of it. But we unpack that the good news is that Jesus in His death and in His resurrection has defeated the things that are working against humanity. Namely, sin leading to death, the world and how oppressive it is, and then the demonic realm that is leading the world down a path that is contrary to the way that God wants it to go. So we said Jesus is Lord. In His death and resurrection and ascension to the right hand of the Father, He, is now, he now has power and His children do over our own flesh, our own sin, the world and Satan, and death itself, the greatest enemy of humanity, has been defeated. That's why we sing that song, right? That death is defeated. Because our sins are not held against us, and death is no longer the payment for our lives. Okay, so then the question becomes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone. What is it salvation from? And most of you, if you're good church folk, the first thing that's going to pop into mind is hell. But that is not the direction that Paul takes in Romans 1. The direction he takes is what we're going to jump into tonight. I want you to see that and feel that. Um, Salvation from something else. So I'm going to read the first half of what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to unpack it fully. And then we're going to read the next half. And I hope it it becomes clear. Um, I hope it becomes clear. So keep in mind, what salvation from what? Hell might be in there, but there's something bigger than that going on, I want to say, in the narrative of, the, of Scripture. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. This is verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Simply put, mountains, stars, oceans, when you get near them, you, you breathe in. Like you go sit on the ocean you haven't seen in a while and you forget that that thing goes on forever. Like it just keeps going and you're like, wow, that's big. And you take a breath or you walk outside and like it's been cold outside lately so you can see the stars a little better when it's cold because of the air pressure. And so you walk out and you look up and you're like, oh wow, there's a ton of those stars. And you're, you're sort of taken back by how small you are and how big this place is. Or you go see the mountains for the first time and you're driving, you're driving to Colorado and when those mountains come over the hills for the first time and you see these things often, this is enormous and immovable and eternal mountains and you're like oh my gosh I'm tired that's what he's saying in the things that have been made God is revealed the attributes of God namely his eternal power is revealed I wasn't I didn't mean to do that I didn't want to jump in there let's just keep going 
Um, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they, when they say they, it's humanity as a whole, not a particular group of people, humanity. So they, humanity, are without excuse. For although they, humanity, knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things, specifically talking about idolatry in the ancient world where people would carve statues of humans or of jaguars or totem poles or whatever and worship the creation instead of the one who made those things. Or they make a man and they worship a man. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So we're going to stop there and I want to unpack. All right, take a breath. Okay. We're going to unpack Romans 1, this particular part. You've got to see what Paul is doing here. Uh, he has laid out the order of this in a really specific way. This is mirroring Genesis 1. This is a, this is a reverse sort of upside-down mirror of Genesis 1. And let me, sh- let me show you what I mean by that. Um, I think we've got to get out of our heads, and I don't know if you have this, but I grew up with this. This, this notion, let me t- okay, let me tell you exactly how I viewed why I existed, why the world existed, and why God created us when I was, I, most of my life, maybe until I was 22. Um, it felt like God had created this world a bit like an ant farm and then put us in this little ant farm so he could watch us. And then if we did the wrong things, he'd be like looking through the window and like, ha, gotcha, and then and squish you, right? So that it's like that we're, this is an ant farm, right? Like I would always wonder, why, why are we here? Why do we exist? Why, is, why do, is there so much order in the world? Why is there so much just perfection? Like we can't exist without the earth being tilted just the right way, us being just the right distance from the sun, and all of these things had to happen on the earth at just the right time to even have water on the earth. And like all these things happen just for this perfect thing to happen. And then I wonder, like, why is that there? And then why are we here? It just sort of seems like when I read the Bible, it's just like, God wants me to be good. My parents want me to be good. But I feel like I want to do things that are not that good according to the Bible and according to my parents. And so, like, is he looking at me and is he, like, mad at what I do? Is this like an ant farm and you're just waiting to squish me? Like, what are we doing here? Um, and so the purpose for humanity kind of escaped me. And it wasn't until I got deep into the narrative of Scripture and actually turned my life over to the Lord, actually, like, turned it over to him instead of playing games with him, um, that I really began to see what we were created for. And so I want, you to, I, want, I want you to hear this Genesis 1. You've probably heard it a thousand times. I want to draw your attention to something specific. Um, you guys know the story. You know this, this creation narrative of Genesis 1, that God exists. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. 
And God spoke and said, let there be light. And there was light. And he separated the light from darkness. And the darkness he called night. And the light he called day. Right. And then he goes from creating light and dark to creating land and space to creating sea and land. And then he goes about filling all of those things that he just separated with living things. So he fills the ocean with fish and he fills the sky with birds and he fills the land with animals. And then he gets done with that. And all throughout that part, he says, created in their own likeness, created in their own likeness, the beasts of the field by their own likeness, uh, the birds of the air by their own likeness, the fish of the sea by their own likeness. And he says that, I believe, seven times, by their own likeness, by their own likeness. And then he gets to this part and listen. Then God said, this is verse 26, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Not after their own likeness, but after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created. Him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So we get in the first part of this creation narrative, what do humans exist for? Humans exist to be the things on the earth that look like God. So that when you look at the earth, you would say, what is God like? Okay, you can see his power through the mountains and the stars and the trees and the ocean. What's he like? Is he merciful? Is he angry? Is he loving? Is he a jerk? Humans are created to rule the earth, to have dominion over the earth in such a way that they're in relationship with God and rule as he would rule. So humans have this really, really specific purpose in creation to be those things that image forth what God is like. And so when Paul jumps into Romans 1 and he says, you've traded not just worship for God, right? You've not just, so your place in creation is to be sort of the pinnacle of creation made in the image of the Creator by which you worship the Creator and then rule the creation as He would rule it. So he makes this good creation where everything in it is good, and then he brings humans and he says, now, you, instead of me ruling over the things that I've made, I've made you like me, so worship me, and then as you worship me and understand me and know me and walk with me in the cool of the day, then you go and rule as I would rule. So he rules the earth via humanity. And then what Paul is saying is, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is the power of God for salvation. Salvation from what? Salvation from the wrath of God being poured out on the earth because humans have destroyed the creation. Because humans have entered in and where they were supposed to be in worship of God, ruling over creation in a way that is good and right and merciful and just, we stopped worshiping God, we started worshiping the creation, so we exchange the glory of the immortal God, like Paul says, for things that creep on the ground. For images of man and moving things. And so we traded the worship, but in trading the worship, we began to worship the thing that we were supposed to rule. And so this is where idolatry, I think we don't really get how bad it is. I think we think idolatry is bad because... In idolatry, you're saying, God is like a jaguar, so worship 
the jaguar. Or God is like a, an eagle, so worship. The, or God is like this little man carved out of wood, so worship that. Okay, it's not just bad that you're worshiping the wrong thing. It's bad because we were supposed to think, be the thing that you look at and say, God is like that. This is why when Jesus comes to the earth, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's not just saying, I'm divine, and so if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's saying, I am what humanity was supposed to be. A being in full relationship and obedience to his Father, insofar as that when you saw him, you saw the Father. That's why he would go along and say, now, after I go away and the Spirit comes, you'll do the things that I do. You'll do greater things than the things that I've done. So you've got to see that Jesus is this perfect human, not just the divine human. He's a divine human who is perfect and does what humans were supposed to do all along. So that when Jesus says, well, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I only say what the Father says. I only do what the Father does. He's saying this is what humanity was supposed to be like. Those that image forth who God is. And what Paul is saying is the wrath of God is coming because the image bearers stopped worshiping the Creator and instead of being His image, they said, God's not like us, He's like a jaguar. God's not like us, He's like this little carved man. God's not like us, He's like an eagle, right? So we, we, we be, when we were supposed to be idols imaging forth God, we just made Him up like something else and started worshiping that. You see how that's like double bad? I know that's hard to explain and I'm a bit confusing. It's not just that we started worshiping this thing. That thing took our place in the world. Does that make sense? This carved image took our image-bearing responsibility and we were happy to do it. And so when we were happy to do it and when we exchanged worship of God for worship of creation, instead of receiving life from God, receiving direction from God, receiving who we are from God, and then pouring that out on creation we began to seek the creation and suck the life from creation. I mean, you can see this across the board in the way that humans treat the earth, the way that humans treat all of creation, the way that humans treat other humans. Most of the relationships that I was engaged in when I was in high school and early in college was for me to be around someone who affirmed me and loved me and I liked the way that they made me feel. I didn't necessarily love them. I liked how they made me feel. And it got toxic a year in in every single one of my relationships because they stopped feeding me and I stopped feeding them. The affirmation, the attention, the time, and all those things. And so when that goes away, it wasn't like love and sacrifice being poured out on this person. It's like I need something to feel okay and I'm either going to suck it from you or suck it from somebody else. But instead of being those who are alive in God and pour out of the creation, we turn to the creation and in worshiping it, we try to get our life from it, our hope from it. Think about the things that you have hope in right now. Is it your future? Is it money? Is it a relationship? What is it? You turn to the creation and looking for life in it. And when we begin to do that, creation began to fall apart. And God says, I love my good creation and I love my humans on that good creation. And if I am a good God, I've got to set the world right. I've got to administer justice where there's been oppression. I've got to administer punishment where punishment is due I've got to give mercy where mercy is due but he has come and is going to come to set the world right 
I think we need to understand that when we have heard the story of heaven and hell and ask Jesus in your hearts you can go to heaven and you won't go to hell, you've got to understand that's not the narrative of Scripture. The narrative of Scripture is this. God created a good creation and put humans over it that were supposed to be in relationship to him. We turned, we began to worship the creation. The creation began to fall apart. Jesus steps into the creation and says, I'm going to rescue you humanity and bring you back to God so that you can begin to do on the earth what you were meant to do. But I'm coming again to set it all right. The thing in your heart that realizes this place is not what it's supposed to be, as beautiful as it is, it still really sucks to be alive sometimes. And we really want to see God move in some really specific ways, and yet sometimes he never does. And what he's saying is, I am going to move and I'm going to stop wars on the earth. I'm going to stop oppressive governments. I'm going to stop people that rape and kill and prey on young children. I'm going to put an end to that. But I'm hesitating to do that because that is the day that the wrath of God is poured out on humanity. You see where I'm going? It's salvation from that. So when we talked last week about the power of God for salvation, how it's this beautiful, good thing, you've got to understand when we say good news, that means there's the potential for bad news. And we as Americans hate this diagnosis of humanity. We hate this diagnosis of humanity because we are children of the Enlightenment. We are Westerners built up on Enlightenment philosophy that says humans are by nature good. And this text is Jewish theology to a Greco-Roman culture that Jewish theology is that humans have walked away from their God and they are not good by nature. They are destroying themselves and destroying creation. And God wants to step in and set it right. But before he steps in to set it right, on the great and terrible day when he does set it right, he came as Jesus to reconcile back to God and to save everyone who wants to be a part of that movement. And then when we get to that second part, where he says, so God gave them up and, he, and, and they exchanged basically woman for woman attraction and man to man attraction. He is not calling out homosexuality or same-sex attraction as the worst sin ever and placing it on this pedestal. What he is doing is he's saying, remember the Genesis 1, in my image I created you and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. So the last part of that is God made them in his own image, male and female, he created them. So what Paul is doing is basically saying when they traded worship of God for worship of creation and they traded, this is humanity as a whole, it is not individuals, worship of God for worship of creation and worship of idols instead of image bearing and being those idols. When they traded that, then they forfeited the way that humans go about creating more image bearers so you've got to see that the first blessing in the bible is god looks at humanity and says have sex and make more humans in making more humans you create more image bearers in this way the glory of god covers the earth as the waters cover the seas so in the creation narrative the blessing and the greatest most beautiful part of what it means to be human is when two opposites come together and in their unity they create something else that is a living being with a soul that can interact with God and can interact with creation. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever been a part of in my life. 
It's the weirdest thing to see a human come from my wife. That's weird. And yet, it is the most beautiful thing that I've ever seen in my life. Women make humans. They make humans. Like, sex is great. But women making humans is craziness. It is ridiculous. And what he's saying is, this is the way, this is the way that image bearers are made. This is the way humans are brought into the universe, is this act where two opposites come together, and in their love and devotion and unity, and in the beauty of that act, a human is made. And that human is supposed to image the creator of all things. And that's why he turns in Romans 1 and says they traded their purpose and then they traded this blessing that makes that purpose possible. He's just drawing attention to how humans have reversed what they're supposed to do. And so think of it in this way. Think of it in this way that humanity, humanity is almost this tree that feeds and receives from God, and in feeding and receiving from God, bears fruit that is good for the world and is good for creation. And what has happened to humanity is that the tree has begun to rot. And when the tree begins to rot, something has to be done to the tree. And while it may not look dead yet, you are seeing branches begin to die and wither and fall. And it doesn't look so bad, but the core is falling apart. And that's what Paul is drawing attention to. That there will come a day when that tree has got to be trimmed down or taken down. And Jesus comes on the scene to save the tree. He comes on the scene to redeem humanity. And yet, he places the option before you. Do you want to go this way or do you not? Do you want to go with me? Or do you not? Do you want to become what you were created to be? Or do you want to continue sucking life from the creation that you were made to rule? Let's keep going. For this reason, uh, I'm sorry, and since they did not see fit, this is verse 28, see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. And then look at the list. Evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Everything that humanity does is sort of wrapped up in those words. Not everything. The wickedness, the thing that's rotting the tree from the outside is wrapped up in that. And that's Paul's diagnosis of humanity. And he's saying, 
Jesus has come. Remember the narrative that humans were created to steward and rule the good creation. And in not doing that, the creation has begun to crumble. And God has stepped in before He pours out His wrath. God Himself steps in and says, pour the wrath on me. So Jesus comes and says, I will take all of the wrath coming on humanity to save them from it before everything is set right. I'll take all that wrath. So if we look at just the second half of Romans 1, your first thing is, that's too harsh, humans are not that bad, and God's a jerk. And what I want you to see is if you don't view Romans 1 what, 18 to 32 through the lens of Romans 1 to 17, you miss out on where Paul started this whole trajectory. That Jesus has come to save humanity from that day. He's come to set all things right, and that will be a difficult day. So he has set himself in the place of punishment, in the place of wrath, so that those who don't want to be a part of the setting right, who don't want to be a part of the negative side of that setting right of the earth and the wrath that's going to be poured out to do away with all things, follow me, come and be associated with me in my death and in my resurrection. So you've got to view this part of Romans through the lens of what Jesus has already done. And so I want to say, kind of in closing and kind of an application for, for, for that, um, I want you to notice the way that, that, that Romans 1 goes. God gave them over. God gave them over. As if God had designed what he wanted them to do and the way he wanted us to be and how we were supposed to live. And God had designed it a specific way. And humans in rebelling, uh, their mind and their thoughts and their actions, he gives them over to allow them to do what they want to do. Knowing where that leads, he has given the option for them to not go that way, and then, he is, and then he has allowed those who don't want to go that way to go the other way. Um, and so, if I can put it this way, I don't know what interaction you've had with Christianity growing up. Um, it seemed like the interaction I had with Christianity growing up uh, seemed to paint Christianity as legalistic, judgmental, um, and just sort of fire and brimstone. And I'm afraid that a lot of you may have had that interaction. And I think even when you see Christianity on the news with people with their signs and their funerals, and it's just like, what are you doing? Shut up. And you get this view that that's the way it is. And I think what happens then is those of us who have decided to follow Jesus, we look at that and we say we don't want to be like that. And so we have sort of swung to this place of what I would call a compromised shallow Christianity and I think it's easy to do that we don't want to be these legalistic jerks and so we swing to only really discussing the really soft side of the story we don't want to say Jesus has a way of life that is good and right and there's another way of life that is killing you and killing the people around you and walk in this way of life and find life and joy and peace we kind of want to back away from that and say, hey, I'm not going to impose anything on you and you kind of do what you want to do. And so we sort of move from legalism to compromise. 
And I don't think legalism is right, and I don't think compromise is right. I think obedience to the Word is right when that goes against culture and when that goes with culture. And I don't think it's our job to call everybody out for everything that they do wrong, but I do think it's our job as those who have decided to follow Jesus, have been baptized into His church, to really wrestle with what it means to be obedient to the teachings of the New Testament and to really pour ourselves into that in a real devotional type of way. And so I can remember in my past times where I experienced God and I knew that as I was experiencing God, I knew what it was going to require of me and so I walked away from it. Um, I remember being at youth camp. I had already gotten into smoking weed on the weekends and I was, I was pretty much every day I would smoke weed before class and stuff. I hadn't gotten into, I think I'd gotten into Xanax, but I hadn't gotten into really hard stuff yet. Um, and I remember going to a youth camp my senior year and being just rocked and I don't remember what it was about I just remember getting on my knees in the pew at like University of Louis like La Tech or something I don't remember where it was uh in Louisiana and like knowing that God was real that he loved me he wanted something different for my life but I knew that meant I had to walk away from some friends and I had to stop smoking weed and I tried really hard to weave marijuana into the, the Genesis narrative like I was, I've been trying that. Like, I was raised in the church, so I, like, kind of knew the Bible. And I was like, no, 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 everything's good. Every green plant is good, right? And, like, I, like, I was working on it. But deep down, I knew that was a lie. Um, deep down, even though I would tell people to their faith, I knew it was a lie. And I knew that's what it required of me. And I went for, like, three or four days saying, yes, yeah, 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 that's the way I'm going to go. And then my friends came around. Sounded good, and so I kind of jumped back into lifestyle, and I never really was obedient to Jesus. Uh, and then that led, like, four years later, I've been arrested four times. Me and my roommate are like, hey, maybe we can go to this, there's like this semi-alcoholics anonymous thing, but it's for everybody that does drugs, and it was at this church in Houston. And he'd been raised in the church, I was raised in the church, and I was like, hey, let's go. Um, and so we went and talked, and it was nice. And then I went there on a Wednesday night for worship, and then I went there again on a Wednesday night for worship. And I remember, I mean still deep in it, worshiping and just feeling the Holy Spirit press on me like I've got something different for you. Let's get out of the place that you're in because this place sucks, bro. And like, let's get out of here. Not out of the church, but out of the life I was in. And I remember feeling that and wanting so badly to do it, but being weak and walking away again. Um... I mean, I remember eating weed brownies, sitting on my porch, reading the Psalms, and overwhelmed by the presence of God, weeping, knowing I'm wasting my life. What am I doing? And I woke up the next day and did it all over again. It is so, so easy to live in a compromised place. It is so easy to believe that Jesus it was who he said he was and that I'll go to hell, I mean, I'll go to heaven when I die and all that good stuff. But at the core, I was finding life in what Jesus died for and I was finding life in something that Jesus is coming again to do away with. And I had staked my life in it. All my hope, all my good times, all of my pain, that's where I ran. And so, 
I, I, I don't want to run away from tonight too quickly. Um, I'm going to put it this way. This is Lewis' quote from this great book, The Great Divorce, that I read. I uh, love this book. Uh, but this is what Lewis says in this book. The Great Divorce is basically these people take a bus ride uh, to the foothills of heaven, and they come from this place called Graytown, which is supposed to be a little bit like hell. Um, and then these beings come up to them that they've known in their past, and they're all having these conversations. And, those, and these spirits or these beings are trying to convince them to do away with this thing in their life that gets in the way of them coming into heaven and going into the foothills are going from the foothills into the mountains of heaven. And all of them have their reasons and all of them have their compromises and all of them have their reasons why they don't want to walk away and why the mountains probably aren't that good or why that would be intellectually oppressive or why there's too much pain to go over there or why God's not good or all these reasons. And this is one of the quotes. He says, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, your will be done. And those to whom God says, your will be done. All that are in hell choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will miss it. Those who seek, find. And those who knock, it will be opened. There is a choice to be made. And he's talking about heaven and hell here. And I'm not so much talking about it, even though I do believe that. I'm talking more about what you were created to be and do, the place that you've staked your life in, and maybe the things that need to be walked away from so that you can continue to walk in the life that God has for you and not stake your life in the things that Jesus died to do away with. I think that's an important thing that we have to think about, especially as we move through Romans 1, and it does get heavy and it does kind of get real. Um, I think our generation will be known not as the legalists, but as those who compromised. And I think that's not good, and I think that weighs on me. And so when I get the chance, and tonight's the chance, I want to lay before you, my heart's desire is not to bash you over the head with Romans 1. Like I wrestle weekly weekly with people that have same-sex attraction and want to follow Jesus and find it so difficult to do in the middle of and I realize how difficult that is I realize this wasn't a choice you made when you were nine years old and you're like oh okay I'm gonna do this like I get that I get that I have immediate family members that wrestle with it I'm not aloof from how difficult and how complex the issue is but I do want to say if we are going to be believers who have begun to be disciples of Jesus, we have to wrestle with Romans 1. You have to wrestle with it. You can't just sort of brush it under the rug. And that doesn't just go for same-sex attraction. It goes for every single thing of equal value on the list underneath it. Every single one. Evil, covetousness, malice, envy, gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, boastful, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. We've got to decide to become disciples of Jesus or we've got to walk away from this thing. And disciples of Jesus, it's not going to be while the burden is easy and light because God will give you strength to move through these things, it will require cutting away it will require cutting away and 
all of this comes on the heels of Romans 1 to 116, that the power of God is at work in you by his spirit to conform you to the image of Jesus so that as you move through life, it will be more than song. It will be life that pours out of you into the people around you as opposed, as opposed to you taking life from the people around you and from the creation itself so that we can look forward to the day that Jesus comes to set things right and not look forward to that day with fear, but look forward to it with joy and hope and excitement.